to episode 5 of Really Bad Ideas, the continuing adventures of Jack, Alibuck, and Lutze as they gradually break out from their roles as delivery men. I'm Carl, their GM, number one fan, and part-time therapist. When we last left the party, they'd recently arrived in Magnamar, fresh off the quest of retrieving the golden fan from the ruined wizard's tower. They were then given a job to take the fan to a half-elf called Galadir, who owns a shop of curios in Magnamar. Upon arrival, they found his shop closed, leading them to try to break in to see what he had in there. The door, however, was trapped, drawing the attention of a local gang of thieves, who had just happened to be looking for Dar Dimplefoot. The thieves took the party to meet their leader, Nathaniel Burke, who claimed that Dar had stolen something from him, and he wanted it back. Dar agreed, dragging the party into this whole mess, and informed them that he had stolen a ruby from Nathaniel. A ruby that stored his soul, and that upon his death, it would be returned to his body, cheating his way to immortality. He also informs the party that the ruby is now in Sandpoint, the town from which they've recently travelled. Annoyed, and shoving Dar's problems to the bottom of their list, the party choose to speak to Galadir, discovering that Dvez, the deity to whom the fan is attributed, has not held power for some several hundred years. And sadly, Galadir can offer them little more information. When Dejak asks him about orcs, keen to get back on the trail of his mother, Galadir informs him that the Black Orc tribe is known to live fairly nearby in a forest, but he doesn't know where. However, another gang in the city, the Gallowed, have an orcish member who may know more. With that, the party decide that before they head back to Sandpoint, they will seek out this fetch and see what he can tell them. And with that, let's start Session 5, Averbutchers at This. <laughs> Galadir had told the party that the Gallo would like to congregate in a pub called the Hanged Man. He also told them where in the marches this bar can be found, so off they go. This area of the marches is much like the one where Nathaniel Burke has set up shop. In fact, you could say it was exactly the same, only for different gang colours. The Hanged Man is not an easy pub to miss. The bar sign outside proudly displaying an effigy of a man swinging from a rope. The party stroll inside boulders brass and asks to speak to a member of the Gallowed, and after much indignant shuffling and mumbling, one man steps forward. A man called Zeke. Zeke is one of those characters, I'm sure that many GMs have, that you think is just going to play quite a small part in a campaign, but then your players latch on to something that you've done and make them an integral part. They just won't let go, and they keep coming back. Zeke's thing was that, for some reason, I decided to give him a South African accent, not a very good one, but still. Oh yes, and who are you to come in here and make demands of the Gallowed? The party explained the situation with Nathaniel Burke and the Ruby, that they are no friends of the Keel. Dejak also states that he's looking for information on certain Orcish tribes and wishes to speak to their member known as Fetch. Although he didn't call him Fetch, for some reason the name never stuck in Dejak's mind. Not quite sure why. Zeke laughs. <laughs> so you've taken Nathaniel's Ruby, have you? Well, that is very impressive indeed. If you could somehow get it back to us, then we would of course align ourselves with your cause. As for Fetch, he's not here at the moment. We sent him out to investigate what we think might be a safe house for one of the rival gangs in the area. I can tell you where he is and you can go see for yourself. I'm not going to admit to how many times I'm re-recording Zeke's lines for fear of offending people. But the party agree, and they head out to the reported safe house indicated to them by Zeke. Outwardly, it looks like any other in the district. Run down and in dire need of repair. However, once they get closer and examine the door, they notice signs of a forced entry. The characters slip inside as quietly as they can, actually passing their stealth checks for once. 
Inside, they find a group of thugs, surrounding a second group, battered and bruised, and wearing the colours of the gallowed. One of them is an orc. All pretense of stealth goes out the window as the jack pulls his axe, flies into a rage, and charges at the standing group. What follows is a quick but claustrophobic fight. The room isn't very big, there are many participants, and there isn't much room to move. Fortunately, the party have strength in numbers, and also a handy snow leopard that charges in and makes quick work of the other group with its teeth and claws. After the fight, the party help to pick up and patch up the members of the gallowed. The Jack pays particular attention to Fetch. Indeed, the look of surprise on Fetch's face upon seeing someone else displaying orcish characteristics forms a sort of bond between them immediately. While Alabuck and Jezebel move amongst the other members of the gallowed, using their natural and holy magics respectively to patch them up, the Jack and Fetch have a conversation. Fetch reveals that he was once a member of the Blue Tribe of Orcs. For those of you new to the podcast, Dejack is a member of the Green Tribe and has green dragon blood flowing in his veins. Of course, blue and green are just common words that I can use to help you understand. The Orcish words are far too difficult to pronounce and take altogether too much phlegm for me to pronounce them here. Fetch tells Dejack that he grew tired of tribal life and signed on with a band of mercenaries who fought their way across continents and seas until he arrived in Magnamar and found friends amongst the Gallowed, which is where he decided to settle. Dejack confides in Fetch that he's searching for his mother, and she took from the tribe their sacred axe when she left. Fetch's eyes go wide, and Dejack seems slightly confused. He knows that the axe is a family heirloom and treasured by the tribe, but he hasn't seen any greater significance in it than that. Fetch relays the story of the contest. Yes, another common word used in place of an orcish word. There exists in Esthia different groups of orcs, all of whom at some point have been blessed with dragon blood. Once every few generations, a champion is born to each of the tribes, one in whom the effects of the dragon blood are much more pronounced. They are capable of bonding and using the sacred weapons. The purpose of this is that the tribes come together in glorious combat, and the winning champion gains the title of war chief. It is said that every war chief arises at a time of significance in the history of Esthia and unites the tribes, leading them to great glory. Dejack takes this all in. He'd never considered that he was the son of a hero. However, his resolve is hardened further. He must find his mother and protect her, if necessary, retrieving the axe and taking it back to his tribe. He tells Fetch of his encounter with the orc with the flaming sword, and Fetch, with a grim look on his face, explains that he was likely the champion of the Red Tribe. And if he's hunting Dejack's mother, something has gone very wrong with the way the contest is usually held. He stresses to Dejack the urgency of finding his mother, and also tells him of the location of the Black Dragon Tribe, located northeast of Magnamar, in a forest called the Churlwood. Dejack thanks Fetch for the information and helps he and his team back to the Hanged Man, where they meet Zeke once more. The next part of the story may seem a little bit out of place in terms of priorities. However, I had come across one of those particular issues that every GM, every group comes across quite frequently, I'm led to believe by Twitter, that 
one member of the party had to miss a session, and that person was the Jack. So I know it makes absolute sense that uh, they should head straight out to the Black Hawk village to try and save his mother. That's definitely what Dejat the character would want to do. But in scheduling terms, we had to make it so that he couldn't do that. Zeke thanks the party for saving his men and returning them to the hangman relatively unharmed. He offers them a place to stay the night. And during an evening of drinking, Zeke receives a message from one of his men. The message states that the Keeled know that Dar has come to the Hangman to speak with the Gallowed, and that the Keeled are preparing to attack the Hangman to get at Dar, fearing treachery. The party immediately offer to stay within the Hangman and help defend it with the rest of the Gallowed, an offer which Zeke turns down. He says that they should be able to hold out on their own if they have one of their best fighters stay with them. Hint, hint. While the rest of the party go and retrieve the ruby, the party immediately say that Sandpoint is too far away, it will take them too long to get there and come back in the time required. Zeke says no, he will lend them his fastest horses and it would reduce the travelling time considerably. The party reluctantly agree, and set off that evening on horseback to Sandpoint once more. On the way to Sandpoint, the party encounter a gnomish druid by the name of Trick, who is accompanied by her wolf companion, Hopper. Another player to add to the list, growing the party by one more. She comes from the same druidic circle as Jezebel, and is also searching for the people who burned down their home. After a brief conversation with Jezebel to get caught up, she joins the party and heads on to Sandpoint. Upon arrival in Sandpoint, the town is very little changed from when they were last there. Indeed, it was only a few days ago. On the way, the rest of the party, minus to Jack, have managed to squeeze out of Dar Dimplefoot the rest of the story relating to the ruby. It appears that once Dar stole the ruby, he fled. He picked Sandpoint as a refuge because being on the coast, he thought he could get away by ship if necessary. However, once he was here, he decided to hide the ruby, find a buyer, and then come back for it. To that end, he approached the local butcher, figuring that a tradesman would be honest enough, and if he just handed him a box and said, please hide this, here is a large sum of money, nothing bad would happen. Tradesmen are honest people, right? As such, the party find themselves within the butchers of Sandpoint, owned by a man called Kendall Cartwright. Kendall appears to be an affable man, slightly overweight, balding, middle-aged, your classic butcher, found in many, many towns of many, many GMs who don't have much imagination just like me. Kendall gives a start as soon as the party walk into the store. Oh, hello, Dar. Wasn't expecting to see you around here anytime soon. No, I don't imagine you were, Kendall. Uh, I just come back to pick up that parcel I left with you. You know, the one I paid you a lot of money to hide. Oh, yes, of course, Mr. Dimplefoot. I remember it like it was yesterday. You handed me over this big chest and you said, keep this safe for me while I'm gone. Here's a large bag of money. Right, so where is it now? Uh, I buried it. You buried it? Yeah, well, you said to keep it safe, so I took it and I buried it. Somewhere only I know, so uh, we won't have any people stealing what's inside. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure it's valuable, but I didn't look. No, I'm an honest man. Right. Where did you bury it? I uh, I buried it in the churchyard, Mr. Dimplefoot. <sighs> in the churchyard. Yep, that's right. No one will ever think to look for it in the churchyard. No, I don't suppose they will. Uh, right, where in the churchyard? Oh, uh, I buried it under a stone. I made a note of the name around here somewhere. Uh, here you go. Here, yeah, it's, it's buried under this particular person's grave. 
So it's not only in the churchyard, it's 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 in a grave. Yep, that's right. Right. Okay. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to go and retrieve this box. All right, nope, I'll be here, Mr. Dumfoot. You come back. And with that, the party head out to the church. The church in Sandpoint, at least in my version of Sandpoint, I can't remember if it's the same as the Pathfinder official version, is dedicated to Saren Ray, goddess of the sun. The party, of course, do not want to cause too much of a stir with the public as they try and dig up the graves in a churchyard which can be seen easily from the road. The party hit upon a brilliant suggestion. Dar and Jezebel are going to be the actual diggers. Alabuck and Lutsay are going to stand outside the church and try to distract everyone. The methods they will use to try and distract passers-by are these. Lutsay will perform outstanding acrobatics, and Alibuck will bother people with pamphlets trying to convert them to his deity of Andaletta. Okay guys, let's see what you can roll. Alibuck rolls quite high on his diplomacy checks and genuinely gets a couple of people interested in the church of Andaletta. No easy feat standing outside the church of a major deity. Lutse, on the other hand, falls flat on his face several times. After this goes on for a couple of minutes, Alibuck changes tack and instead tries to drum up attention crying to the crowds to come and see the amazing falling monk. Incidentally, Lutse's failed acrobatics checks do become something of legend in the Pathfinder version of this game. Once we move to Pathfinder 2nd edition, they become a lot more reliable. So, as the passers-by are being kept sufficiently distracted, we move back to the digging team. Slowly, they make their way through the earth. A willowy elf and a small halfling are not exactly the most burly characters that you would expect to do this kind of work. Maybe they should have had the monk do this instead of falling over in front of the church. But eventually they make it to the chest and they hear a thunk as the spade hits wood. Excitedly, they scrabble away at the dirt, lifting the chest out of the hole. Dar's hands twitch with anticipation as he fiddles with the clasp on the chest and swings open the lid to reveal... nothing. The gem is gone. Dar lets out a cry of rage, inadvertently drawing attention from people on the street. But he doesn't care. He's been cheated. And only he's supposed to do that. Alibuck rushes in from the road and joins Jezebel in trying to placate him. Dar, Dar, calm down. We can talk about this. We can find it out. No. Dar stands, whipping his daggers from out of the sheaths, kept at his sides. When I'm done with that butcher, we're going to be able to display him in his own window. And that's where we'll leave the session. <laughs> Remembering this session always makes me laugh because of the anticipation of what they were going to find in that chest. Of course, as the GM, I knew exactly what was coming up, and I couldn't wait to see the looks on their faces when there was nothing in there. Because although, you know, it's a fairly obvious plot point to have someone be distrustful and there's nothing in the box, it always seems to work quite well with the party. The genuine rage they feel for the NPCs that have betrayed them, and yet at the end of the session they always turn to you and say, oh yeah, that was great, thanks, let's do that again, even though half of my job is just annoying them and making things difficult for them. But it's a really great feeling, and this is why we do it. Thank you, as always, for listening to me ramble on about my Pathfinder adventures. I really hope you're enjoying it so far. I'm actually really excited to talk about the next session with you, because it was one of those sessions where... A lot happens and everyone gets super excited and really into it and it's just a really good memory for me. So thank you all for listening and I hope you'll join me next time for Really Bad Ideas Session 6, Red Ruby Runaway. <laughs>